0: Welcome to Subscriptions for Authors. Meet your co-hosts, Michael Evans, sci-fi thriller author of a dozen novels, and Amelia Rose, a semi-romance author that makes six figures per year in subscriptions. Together, we will help you make more money with subscriptions and succeed in the future of publishing. So today, we're going to be chatting with Himbu Yor, all about how to structure your serials to be able to Have a successful subscription and an amazing story that's going to keep readers hooked, and you being able to continue writing consistently and keeping it fun long into the future. It's a very special episode. Why this is actually very meaningful to me is because we as a CUNY, helped create this. Yes, you listening, Kimbu has been a part of our CUNY for a while now. I think she found us in January when she joined the Facebook group in Subscriptions for Authors. And she's been such an insightful and positive member of the CUNY. And she even spoke at the Subscriptions for Authors Summit. You can find all those videos totally for free on YouTube. I'll link it down in the description. And she also did an amazing event all about her serial fiction beat sheet, which I'm also gonna link down in the description. You'll see us referred to this throughout this podcast episode. But the really cool thing, is that she actually wrote a book all about this it's called become an unstoppable storyteller and it's really all about how you can structure your serial fiction how you can plot it and how you can craft a compelling serial so i'm very excited to chat with Kimmu all about this so many of us write and release in serial form some of us just release in serial form and some of us Write in serial form, but actually don't even release in serial form. We release in a book format. We're going to talk all about packaging, release format, and structure, and why they're different and how they play together. We're going to talk about what Kimbu's learned starting her subscription, building her community. We're going to learn all about the structure and the arcs that you can have to write a successful serial. I know so many of you listening are serial authors. So this is gonna be an amazing episode for you. And even if you wouldn't call yourself a serial writer, even if you think you're more of a novel writer, short story, a poet, I love you. I'm a novelist myself. I would consider myself at least more of a novelist, but I'm starting to fall in love with serials. I think after this conversation with Kimbu not only did I learn a bit about my own self as a novelist, I think I'm learning and starting to get on the serial train myself as a writer. So I'm curious by the end if you'll feel this way. Of course, just to caveat the subscriptions, can be a great business model for all kinds of writers you don't need to be a serial fiction author or to release serially to have successful subscription but there's tons of serial fiction authors and authors who release serially who do have successful subscriptions which is exactly why we have Kim Mou here with us to talk all about how to create an amazing one and before we visually have the podcast I just want to mention one last thing which is that if you to release a serial to yourself out to the world a great platform to do that on is Ream it's a subscription platform that's how you can monetize your serials through subscriptions readers paying for early access and other benefits but we also have a following tier now. And the following basically allows a reader to follow you for free and get updates on chapters that you release to them. And you get their email address as the author. So it's direct following. And you also can post community updates in a social media feed. It really combines following of a mailing list, following of a social media platform, and following on a serial fiction platform all into one very, very powerful button that gives you direct control as an author. So I wanna share that with you. You can publish completely for free on Ream. Check the link down in the description. We're gonna get into this conversation with Kimbo. I am so excited for this one. Kimbu, I am very excited to chat with you today because th- this is a conversation that's been both a long time and a short time coming. I'm going to give some backstory for everyone listening. So Kimbu has been an amazing member of the Gifts for Office community for, it feels like forever, but it hasn't been forever because it's only been around for like a year or so. At least since the beginning of this year, meaning that 2023, I've come to know you and really admired your mindset, everything you're doing. And I remember you made a post in the Facebook group around middle of May, I want to say, that was basically sharing this Google sheet that you made to be able to plot the beats for your cereals. And people loved it. People were like, oh my God, this is awesome. But people were also like, I have questions. And you you were like, I haven't really looked at this or did much with it in a little while. So I, you were just sharing it. But then given the interest, you're like, I'm gonna spend time and dive into it deeper. You updated it and we did a fireside chat that went super, super well, which is a shout out to people who are listening. Like you should go check out that fireside chat linked in the comments because it's a live conversation with Kimbu about a lot of things we're gonna be talking about today. But then that fireside chat inspired you to create something which i want you to talk about that creation and talk about what you've learned (laughs) while doing it i'm very excited this is this is very cool
1: you're always so excited michael it's so energizing to talk with you because you just have (laughs) such a passion for the topic so i'm thrilled to be here
0: i'm very excited to be here and let us know about what your background is in serial fiction what got you interested in even creating that beat sheet to begin with because i know that beat sheet and what you went from there going to fireside chat and now the book that you've written and that is released (laughs) we're going to get there that is a whole beautiful just string of events but what started this? What started your passion as your office?
1: So I, I do talk about this in the book. So if you read the book you're going to hear a little bit of the story anyway but I've always loved endless stories, ongoing stories. In fact, one of my first loves as a child was the Black Stallion series which I think ended up being like 40 books. It was written in the 40s and I grew up in the 70s so that was, you know, the first big thing I latched onto but it led to other passions Star Wars, Star Trek, even the Indiana Jones series and then of course Moving in into the 90s and you've got television shows like Buffy and just these things that were going on and on. The X-Files did it ever end? Like, I don't know. The truth is out there. But I loved these stories that just kept the ball rolling because I was so invested in these characters and I was so engaged with the world building that I just, the love of serials was kind of baked in, I think, from the very beginning. And I got it from my family. My father was a big reader. He loved westerns. I think he wrote all the Zane Grey novels and a more and you know those are not quite serials, but they're they're short. a lot of repeated plots. he just loved that. So it was there. It was deep inside of me to want those type of stories to grasp onto. And in fact my very first fan this is okay, time for public shaming but my very first fan fiction I wrote when I was 10 years old, a Star Wars fan fiction and this was before the Empire Strikes Back and in it I made Leah Luke's sister so that I could be the lump, my Mary Sue character could be the love interest for Luke. So I actually beat George Lucas to the punch on that one, although nobody will ever know because it's long gone. But I loved being involved in the story is what I'm saying. Is I loved engaging with the story and keep telling the characters, talking about the characters telling their story. So many years later, I become a professional author. I did get my launch back into writing, which I'd kind of given up on in the 90s. I know you've heard this story from other authors in my age group, Michael, where a lot of us who wanted to be writers in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, it was such heavy gatekeeping. And sometimes our interests were so niche that we knew it'd be a lightning strike for us to ever get an agent or get a kind of publishing deal back then. So a lot of us gave up. And that was me. I got back into writing through fan fiction. And I loved writing, again, the long stories. Now, my stories weren't actually very long in fan fiction. I did 30,000 words, 50,000 words, but I loved reading the long stories. And one of the things I really loved about that was that that they were often updated in installments, which, you know, subscription authors now we're very familiar with that. We're like, yes, yeah, so there's Wattpad and there's Patreon and there's Ream now. But you know, back in the old days, as they say, when we were doing fan fiction on LiveJournal, there, there were people who were like, well, where's the next chapter? And we're like, it's coming next week. And that was a new thing. And But I loved it. I loved the anticipation. I loved waiting. I loved the imagination, like, what's going to happen next? And then the story would come, and maybe what I wanted to happen happened. Maybe it didn't. It was so awesome. I loved it. And when I went into the professional field, at that point, a lot of indie pu- uh, publishers were getting in the fray because self-publishing came on the scene between 2008-2010, and so it was self-publishing, it was small indie publishers, it was just the wild west. But it was all focused on novels, novellas and novels. You know, if you wrote erotica, you're writing erotic novellas. If you wrote romance, if you wrote genre, if you wrote horror, you were writing novels. And I did write novels. I do have novels to my name. And it pretty much was some of the hardest work I've ever done because it was fighting my instinct to try to make the story conform to the structure of what a novel is. And when I talk about it, I really stress that as a writer, I grew up in a writing household. I've been with writers all the time. I spent most of my life around writers, authors. You know, there are skills that you have to have to write in certain format, right? You know, nobody's just going to sit down and write an epic poem. <laughs> it's like, That's- no, right? Yeah, no, you've got to have the skill set for it. And the same is true for novellas. Same is especially true for short stories, which I will be the first person to admit I am terrible at short stories because I sit down and I'm like, I'm going to write a 5,000 word short story and then you know, 40,000 words later. Yeah. So I just admit it. I don't have the skills for short stories. I really admire short story writers. The same is true with novels. I was not good with the skill set for writing novels. I managed to do it by hook and by crook and I'm a discovery writer. I'm an intuitive writer. So there was a lot of pain along the way. And then slowly in my consciousness, I don't want to drag the story out too long, but slowly in my consciousness, I started seeing serialization. I started, had appeared on the horizon. Authors I knew started serializing their work on Patreon. I didn't really see it as a way to do my stories because I was still Stuck in the, the idea of a novel, and when I wrote my big book, Wolves of Harmony Heights, in 2016, it was so niche and it was so long. And I realized, in retrospect, I was really trying to write it as a serial. And I think mm. at that point, I was kind of like, "Well, I just can't write a novel. This is just not going to work." And it wasn't until I came into the subscriptions for authors Facebook and found out about Ream, and really just that was in January. Uh, I was not familiar with you guys during all your beta of last year. But in January, I found out about it and I'm like, everything just clicked. And I realized this is how I can tell my stories, which are serials. They're not novels, they're serials. And I can do this ongoing and it's gonna be fun. And so that's a really jazzed me up about the whole thing.
0: What a story, I love it. And just so grateful that we could have you part of the Scripture Stories Community because Kimba won't say this, but she's been one of the most passionate and m- most really giving members of the CUNY. I mean, you spoke at the summit and you talked all about productivity And a workflow management through subscriptions, which that was incredible. We we could have easily multiple hours chatting (laughs) with you. But I want to ask you about something that I just kept thinking about as you were talking, which is okay. You're right. You're saying your strength is writer for serials over novels. But one of the things is because of the industry and where it's been at, serials haven't felt like an option oftentimes for a lot of writers who do want to monetize their work. Right? Subscriptions are one of those newer options that is becoming more popular for authors to have their own subscriptions for their own serials. Otherwise, you know, it was a little bit challenging while it was a free platform all these other platforms then we've seen the rise of you know radish in the romance category vela now broadly at least having you know paid serials but they're all relatively new especially vela is a very new platform and then of course the author subscription or subscription to yourself that's just now picking up so with all of this i'm guessing just guessing that there's a few folks listening and i'm going to include myself in this because this is my story as a writer i went to the bookstore you don't see serial affliction in the bookstore you see books you see novels in the bookstore and of course you assume to be name X author on the cover. So I never thought of myself as serial writing even being an option. So for someone like me who might be listening to this and being like, what is she talking about when she says, what is the difference? What is the difference between a novel and writing a novel and writing a serial? What are some of the core differences there?
1: That was one of the things I really had to dig down into after the fireside chat. And I, I admit some of the questions I got asked there stumped me a little bit off the fly because it was just like, oh, what am I really trying to say here? And I had to dig into that question. I really had to look out, okay, so how am I differentiating? these. And when I sat down to look at it, and I'm just going to say that serial fiction, serial storytelling is ancient. It was probably one of the original forms of storytelling that we've had. One of my hats that I wear, as you know, Michael, is I'm a text technology historian. I'm a librarian. That's that's what my degree is in. But my concentration was on the history of the book. What is the history of text and text technology? And one of the things we have to acknowledge when we look at these things is that by the time the written word came down the pike, it was late stage in the game of storytelling. And a lot of the early fictional mythology stories that were told were actually the writing down of stories that had been existing for years in serialized format. It's pretty much agreed by most scholars that stories like Odyssey and the Iliad, Epic of Gilgamesh, these were all serialized stories, which is one reason why you have different versions of them in different places, because people would tell the story and, you know, game of telephone, ancient game of telephone, things would switch as they go down. So it really, I had to look at that and say, how do we identify that then? Even though it's been around for so long, we haven't really defined it. I think a lot of people are already familiar with serials, but we don't call them that because, and this is where the history of text technology comes in, the technology that we had available was you could print a book, you could print a magazine or flyleaf type of thing. So the restrictions were, if it was going to be something that was ongoing, it had to be in a magazine. If it was going to be a big story, it needed to be in a book. And the oral storytelling tradition of I'm going to tell a chapter every day, or I'm going to tell a chapter every week, just disappeared because it wasn't oral anymore. It was all being printing press, right? Which is a great invention, no argument there, but it did affect these forms of storytelling. I would define a serial story as one that has a major long arc but then has smaller story arcs within it. And the reason I think that I will say that people already know what serials are, they just don't know they're serials, is because, and I'm just going to use a really famous example of a story that everybody thinks of as books, but is really, in my opinion, a serial, and that is The Lord of the Rings. And Mm. it's a trilogy, right? Because the technology demanded that it be a trilogy. But when you read the story, there are separate sections to it. And there's, you know, everybody jokes about Tom Bombadil, but important character as he was in the the written version. It's kind of a side quest, really. And so you have these things going on in the story that all feed into the longer story, which is, of course, Frodo taking the ring to Mordor to destroy it, but there are so many other characters and there are so many things going on. And importantly, Frodo himself goes through multiple character arc sequences himself. It's not just one cute, you know, cute hobbit, you know, becomes world-weary traveler. It's cute hobbit becomes world-weary traveler, becomes prisoner, becomes jaded, cynical, becomes, you know, just there's a whole cyclic tale behind his personal journey. So when you have something that big, you have to break it down into pieces. And Tolkien, of course, did it very well. They managed to break it into three novels as the technology was convenient to do at the time. But that to me is the essence of a serial. So if you start looking around, you're going to start seeing serials in a lot of places. I use the example of the Chronicles of Narnia. That's a serial. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Because two of those books are actually flashbacks. They don't even fit in the run of what the story is. To me, that's a real sign of a serial because a serial's going to jump back and forth. It's going to tell side stories. It's going to talk about this thing over here, but it's all within the long arc of the story and the goal of what the long arc is. So you'll hear me talk about the long arc a lot. You hear me talk about seasons, which I call the, you know, the shorter, full arcs, encapsulated arcs, multiple seasons making up a long arc, but that's what makes a serial as opposed to a novel, which a novel will have... A set. There may be multiple character arcs within it, but usually for different characters, like there's just as simple as a three act story structure, it's the save the catch story structure, it's the hero's journey, and that's the arc and then it closes the end, that's a novel. So that's a real mm. quick overview of what I consider to be the difference between a novel and a serial.
0: You know, I I can, first of all, being at that Fireside Chat and then listening to you now, really cool to see the clarity of thought. And that's cool because now I'm I'm having a deeper understanding with you. And I want to ask... Well, first of all, I actually want to mention something to folks who are listening. If you're really into literary technology and like what's possible, there's this professor. He's a professor, actually, of social media at, at Duke. Fascinating guy. His name's Aaron Dinaman, and his dissertation. He was a computer scientist, a software engineer, who I think it was Williams College. I may have gotten the college wrong. I'm sorry, but it was it was a college. It, it was a college. That's super specific. But if you look up Aaron Dinaman dissertation, if you go to his website, he has it on there. His whole dissertation is like 200 pages long. It's about how basically story storytelling and the text is a technology very similar and almost identical to how software works and also examines how these converging technologies are shaping media. So anyways, if you want to nerd out, that's one thing to go to look, as a look
1: man, you wanna you wanna nerd out. I graduated from college in nineteen ninety-two and one of my friends, in fact, I was just talking to him earlier today, did his undergraduate dissertation, his undergraduate degree, because we went to new college. It was really weird. But on it was a personal memoir, but he did it in hypertext, which nobody knew what it was. And we were all exploring what hyper what is this? You could click on a word and it links somewhere. What does that even mean? And so, you know, he was he was trying to convince us that this was the future of storytelling and we all thought he was mad and he was right and we were wrong.
0: wow that is cool that is very cool yeah Um, there's side quests even in in our (laughs) podcast which is how you know we're trying to produce a serial as well but i want to ask now so you were talking about all the different arcs and as you're describing it in the seasons you know you brought up a lot of actually really good examples that we might consider books and i'm all automatically now thinking that really packaging and structure are two different things very different
1: things absolutely that is the important thing that i really want people to understand is that a book is a product a thing, whether it's digital, audio, or, you know, hardback printed thing, whereas the content, the form is what is going into that. And it can take many different shapes. So, those are two, mm. that is a critical delineation to make. And I really want people to walk away with that because here's the reason why. Because people are like, well, if you do stories, how can you print them as novels? And I'm like, you're not going to print them as novels. You're going to print them as books. You're going to print different arcs, seasons as individual books, but they're, or volumes. You could use that word if you want. I know in manga, that's what they call them, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, But it is very important to separate those two things from each other when you're thinking about what form you want your story to take.
0: Oh, that is, I'm going to underline it again. Packaging... (laughs) and structure are two different things two different things They're two different things that I think is going to open up a lot of people's minds I know it's, it's opening up mine and now I'm automatically thinking let's dive into the structure aspect of this you're mentioning all these different types of arcs that we can have now I'm visualizing your spreadsheet which is maybe a call to action that you had this awesome free spreadsheet that's also linked near your, your book that'll be in the description but what would be the overarching things and structure of a serial so, Takeaways, let's say three tips that you'd want authors to know when they're sitting down to plot, or if they're pantsers, just thinking about the overall structure of their ego.
1: Oh, Michael, you really put me on the hot spot there. I think so. I am a pantser, I am a discovery writer. I think, for instance, the spreadsheet that he's talking about is free. Make your own copy of it, use it how you want. It's very good for people who are outliners because you can just plug and play. For people who are a little bit discovery, who a little bit on the discovery side or her pantsers like me, it might be a little bit more difficult, but either way, what I highly suggest people grab onto first, like the first thing I would suggest is understand what your long arc is and which beats work best for your long arc. Because whether you're, my theory is that pantsers and discovery writers write towards beats, whereas biners uh, write down from their outlines and their beats, but either way, you're going to have to know what that is in order to create the large superstructure, we might say, right? So let's say you have a story about a vampire hunter crossing a wilderness wasteland, chasing a vampire. Now that would be a very good novel. might even be a really good short story, depending on if you're just doing a scene from it. But if you want it to be a serial, You're going to have to think about the very long arc of, you know, how far is he going? What exactly is he searching for? And what is he going to end up finding at the end of that search or along the search? But importantly, you've got to decide which forms you're going to use. And one of the things that I like giving people is freedom to choose. So you don't have to use the hero's journey for the long arc. You could use a three-act story structure for the long arc, you can use the heroine's journey. I mean, you know, Michael, there are so many different versions of beats. But you have to use one that's substantial enough that will carry you a long way across the character or the group or the ensemble's journey. For that. So I would have an idea of where you're going, even if you don't know what the end is gonna be, or if you're very sure about what the end is gonna be, and what beach structure fits the long art first, because then you can start plugging in all the small things after that. The second Hmm. thing I would have I would suggest that people decide is get really clear on if you're writing what I call a heroic serial, which is based on a single protagonist going all the way through. You could argue that The Lord of the Rings is a heroic serial because it follows Frodo, even though it has other characters. and important things that happen to other characters, it's still Frodo's journey with the ring. Or you can make the ring the protagonist. I'm not really sure about that one, but that's a thought I had never thought about that before. Is the ring the protagonist? I'm sure somebody's thought of that before. Um, But if you look at something like Game of Thrones, right, is there a single... Uh, Not really. It's the ensemble story. It's the bigger story of the cultures that are involved in this traumatic time. Winter is coming. There's the Game of Thrones going on. There's, you know, lives are in the balance. And so you've got to decide exactly what the focus is kind of serial that you're going through. Because again, even if you decide on the long arc and the beats, if it's a heroic serial versus what I call an ensemble serial, which is more of a group structure, then that's going to decide your shorter seasons, your shorter story arcs that go into building up the larger components. It's going to make a lot of decisions for you.
0: Wow, that was really good. That was really good. I remember when I was actually reading your book, learning about the heroic, the episodic serials, I'm like, oh, oh, that's good. That's good. And there was another thing. So the actual title of the book, I don't think I've actually said it yet, is basically becoming an unstoppable storyteller, which is awesome. Which in the title, there's this sort of promise imbued that in being unstoppable, the actual story is unstoppable to read. And what makes a serial unputdownable, unstoppable? How can we make a serial that is basically you got to go from each chapter or episode, however you package it, but you can't stop going from b to
1: A lot of the advice for people writing serials or serializing stories previously has been always end on a cliffhanger. And that's not bad advice. Like if you want to end every single installment, which is what I call the part of the story that you're uploading for readers, whether it's on Ream as a chapter or if you're sending it out in a newsletter, you can't argue with that. That's great advice. Like, sure end every chapter, every installment on a cliffhanger, and then you'll be Dan Brown. Life will be great. You'll be raking in all the money. But it's very hard to do that, and I think it's not necessary either. So one of the things that I suggest, the long arc will keep people invested in the characters and in the progress of the story. Is Frodo ever going to make it to the freaking mountain to dump the ring? Is that going to happen or not? That will keep people invested. But in the more immediate sense, you're going to have what I call short arcs, or I call them sharks in the book as a joke, but short arcs, and there was so much confusion about it, and I did not clear it up well in the original Fireside chat, but a short arc is really just a subplot. That's all it is, people. It's just a subplot. But it's a specific subplot that you can use to drag readers from one section of the story to another without necessarily using a cliffhanger tied to the beats of the season or even the beats of the long arc. Like, if you can do that, great. But if you're at a point in the story where, you know, they just crossed a big ocean, they shipwrecked somewhere, everybody's exhausted, and they're lying asleep on the beach, what are you going to do to drag readers into the next chapter aside from their wondering what's going to happen next on the beach? Well, you could have a subplot of a group of them had managed to get off the ship and are out there on a lifeboat. And so the last scene is them on the lifeboat looking for other survivors. So you can have things like that that are built into the story that kind of crosses the line over the internal structure of the seasons beats or the long arc beats and helps readers carry through lulls in the story or breaks in the story, or especially when a season ends, which is if you've read the book, you know, that's a big point where you might lose readers because all the emotional promises of the season have been fulfilled, hopefully, if you've done your job. And so you don't just want to leave them only hanging on what the long arc might come next. You want to give them something else to hang on to, to drag them into the next season. I mean, if we think about it, this is one reason why a lot of television shows, when they did seasons, which were actual seasons, ended the season on a cliffhanger because they wanted people to come back four months later to watch the show again. And if you didn't have something like that, then you couldn't do it. A way to avoid having to leave people, force yourself into having to write dramatic cliffhangers all the time, which I will tell you from experience is hard and exhausting, is to have these, I don't want to say low-hanging fruit, but low-er hanging fruit of things that people can get invested in, whether it's a side quest, side characters, a subplot that has something to do with the long arc, like you cut away to a villain cut scene of a villain doing something villainous and then the readers would be like well why did they suddenly cut away to that scene at the end of this arc I thought everybody was happy and go lucky but now we're talking about the villain and his volcano hideout what's going on there so there are ways to do that cliffhangers work sub arcs or what I call short arcs are also a way to do it
0: that is that is fascinating. And I'm thinking now, because you bring up television, and I've, I've been thinking about television in the back of my mind this entire time. Mm. What about television? Because I, I could ask you the question of, like, what can we learn from television? But maybe there's a flip side of that question, which is really, what should we pay attention to in serial television and their storytelling, which is different format, different packaging than what a lot of writers are writing. But at the same time, there's a lot of shared structure. Mm. What oftentimes happens in television that we maybe should be aware of as as authors, maybe for better or maybe for worse.
1: You know, I, I touched on this a little bit in the in the book, and I call it the series void, where things just become so repetitive that people can't be invested in it anymore. And I think in television shows, a lot of times, at least the ones that tend to fall apart, they invest too much in the appeal of a character instead of the character's journey. And I've seen that in novel series as well as television series. But I think certainly television series can fall prey to that because they'll get a star in the show and then suddenly everything will run around the star and then they'll be you know, focusing everything on that character and it just becomes redundant. And I think with authors, we can become enamored with our own characters as well. We can really become very enamored with the idea of, well, everybody loves this character and I love this character, so we'll just keep cycling everything around this one theme with this one character. And, you know, repetition will only serve you so far is one of the lessons, I think. We're all familiar with the jump the shark a lot of people don't know I actually did see that episode of happy days when it aired where Fonzie rode a motorcycle over a shark which was jumping the shark that's where the phrase came from because it was so ludicrous and absurd like you knew the, the series was done they become so hitched on Fonzie and so obsessed with trying to make him special and super unique and you're just done it wasn't this, it wasn't the story everybody originally started watching this series for so I think that's a definite lesson we can all learn from television is watch out for jumping that shark
0: oh that's that is really good and what i'm thinking about with television and with just serials in general this the packaging of a serialized release is because as you know when you're releasing something every week every month whatever the cadence is you start to have a conversation that can develop around your books feedback or <laughs> around your stories ultimately though and i'm curious because i've heard from a few authors when you're writing a serial and your fans are giving you feedback how do you take that into account when not only you're writing a serial but serializing it in terms of the release strategy
1: you know I hate to be a cop out on that question but I think a lot depends on the writer and what they're trying to accomplish with the story I think there are some genres that kind of lend themselves very well to fan feedback I'm particularly thinking of like dark romance where you you kind of know what the setup is going to be you know what the characters are like and you're going to want the characters to go through certain things good or bad and so you, you might be getting readers who are giving you feedback to him, oh, I can't wait till he gets his ass kicked or something like that. And so you're like, oh, well, I guess I better kick his ass at some point in the next (laughs) few chapters kind of walk the middle line. I'm like, listen to what the the audience is saying. So here's the thing. I I tend to write au and that means I write, I don't finish a product before I start posting it. I'm currently Mm. working on a story, and as I write it, I do have a lag, but I post as I write. And I know some writers simply can't do that. So if you can't do that, then you don't really have to worry too much. You do have to look at see if expectations are being built for something that's not going to happen if you've already written it. If you haven't written it, start considering about what you and kind of rolling back around are your readers i think this is the real answer to your question are your readers invested in the long arc because if your readers are invested in the long arc then their comments and their feedback is going to keep feeding back into that if they've lost sight of the long arc then they're just going to want the bad guy to get it beaten or they're going to want the romance to happen or they're going to want the dragons to come in and save the day and you'll be like yeah but frodo is still in the spider den and i what would have you forgotten about that? And they're like, no, we want the Rohan to come in and have a war. So look and see what kind of feedback you're getting and whether the car- the readers are invested in the long arc or have they lost sight of it because that may indicate that you've lost sight of it.
0: That is really good. I think that's a very good way to filter feedback because you don't ever wanna have your specific voices that might be speaking loudly skew you on areas of the story that isn't the core core of it. But yeah, if you're having people who seem to not be resonating with their understanding or invested in it, the long arc that would be a Good proxy. That'd be good proxy. I have, I have one last question before we switch to talking a little bit more about descriptions, which is a question that I honestly, I, I've been thinking about the whole time we've been talking and I've been like, man, I, I don't know. With this new insight around the structure that we can have for cereal, serial. And then with this understanding that structure and package are different. And I think we all are aware of different packaging that we can have for our stories. How do we figure out the best packaging to approach for our story? And in this case, if we're writing serials for our serials.
1: Well, actually, that's an easy answer because it's already been done. I think if you really look at the manga, the history of manga, you'll see exactly how that's done. For instance, the manga Berserker, which I do mention in the book, has been ongoing since like eighty-seven. Like since before I went to college, which you know that was a long time ago. And what they do is they publish in volumes, ongoing and collectively, and then they can do collections of volumes as omnibus editions. And if you're using, if you're aware of the structure, if you're aware that you've got a long arc, but you've got the the series, this what I call the seasons, right? The enclosed or the you know the what I'm so lost for words. The the part of it that has its own set of beats, opening to close, which is the season, which lives within the long art. You can use those seasons to publish volumes or discrete books or audio books or, you know, there's just a lot of different ways to do that depending on how you want to chop it up. One of the things that I think is really beautiful about series is that you do have all of these options. You can do really short volumes that are, you know, just a season. You can do omnibus editions. There is a tradition where, you know, three trilogies like, so it's nine books total right so that's something that the publishing books world has done you can look at something like that and modifying it depending on how your story is flowing and it's just that's why I call it unstoppable because there's just no way to put a restriction on it like you can just keep going however many different directions you want to go I do think that it pays to pay attention to things that you may not have anticipated from the beginning for instance you might end up doing a collection of books that are not in sequence and the reason Reason I would say that Is because you're doing A lot of world building Here we go back And people are like Well that makes no sense And I would be like Chronicles of Narnia people Just look at your history And look at how Other people have done it You can absolutely Start jumping around And doing themed collections Around certain characters If it's an ensemble Or a certain region Like One Piece The manga Where they're traveling Through all different places Do a themed collection Of all the tropical places That they went to And that's an omnibus Right there Of different arcs So there's a lot of different ways to do it. I just, I don't know, man. The answer is whatever you want, but it does behoove you to think about all the different ways you can do it. It can be overwhelming to think about that, but it is actually kind of awesome because not only are you serializing it, you can do actual books. You can do novellas of different sections. You can do anthologies of short stories based around the serial that are side quests that maybe were side arcs that were short arcs that don't really fit or you know built off of something like that. So you can do a lot. You can do a lot.
0: It, it, it's very exciting, especially because not only do you have all of those existing opportunities to be able to package your stories into things, but you also can think about the secondary opportunities of, oh, well, this is this season of you know the cereal. I'm going to have also a collection of merchandise tied to that season. And then mm-hmm. each season, there's going to be a, a different collection that's slightly altered, slightly different designs that can get people to keep coming back to something like that. You can do the same thing with your marketing if you think about different events you can run around in your community maybe it's ask me anything sessions maybe it's a fan holidays that you start to promote you can do that based around the season you can do that based around you know multiple seasons every three se- I mean it's your world you get to pick what you want to do but I, I think it's exciting to think about that you have this nat almost this very natural uh, like DNA of the story And that around that you're able to craft the story in according to its arcs and then be able to figure out what are the best ways to build, you know, experiences around that, whether it's serial releases, whether it's the books that make sense to readers. And with this, as we know, a very common way that a lot of authors begin monetizing cereals is through subscriptions subscriptions are one of the ways that's easier to get started the easiest way to get started because you can just offer early access but it can also grow with you so it's also a sort of world that's overwhelming but in a fun way because you can package all these different things up into the magical thing called your tiers which i know you have a number of tiers and i know that you've had a subscription which how has that gone for you and what have you learned in the process of creating it
1: well, I think what I've learned has actually been a very internal lesson, and that is I am a serial author, right? And so as I look at my older work, which were mostly romance novels, very close to the romance genre structure and all of that, is I've realized as I set up my subscriptions, it's been admittedly been a challenge for me, Michael, because I know I'm changing my audience. But being aware of that has allowed me to focus much more clearly on what I want this subscription experience to be for my readers, because I do come come from the fandom world and I know what it's like to be a rabid fan of something and want to know all about it and to study the wiki that the fans have put together and to love the fan art that all the fans are doing and to buy the keychains and to buy the enamel pins and you know squee loudly when you hear the soundtrack come on to the show and so that is the kind of experience I want to build for my readers as opposed to the previous experience where I was just like here's my product would you buy it you've bought my Product before. This one's going to be the same. You'll enjoy it. That didn't work for me. It works for some. And some people have made a lot of money and a lot of success and a lot of self-fulfillment out of that. Not me. That was not me. I am now in the process of trying to build those kind of stories out from what I have been working on previously. And so it's it's been a challenge for me. I'm still in the, the nascent stages of putting all of this together. I may end up changing my tiers, to be honest with you, because I used to have pin names for those genres. And honestly, I'm thinking of doing away with the pin name thing. Like, I'm just like, it might be time to just make it all Kimbu and go from there because Kimbu is a serial writer. And if that's what you want, then that's what you're going to get. So it's been an interesting adventure, but that's the kind of thing I want to build for my, my readers is that passion love
0: yeah no that super fa- a lot of fascinating takeaways there i mean first of all just on this real passion of building the community of your readers and being able to build a more immersive experience for them is i think really really special and something a lot of readers want and especially is suited for a subscription where they can get ongoing access to the different experiences you're developing inside of a subscription they can comment in the stories comment on the posts and be able to build a relationship with one another where they can start to develop the fan art and fan experiences so i think that's that's really great but i'm curious on the branding. So you had walk me through so you are writing novels under which pen name, you're writing serials under another pen name and what and, and now you're thinking about merging them. Why why different pen names for novels versus serials? Was it different genres or just because of the different form?
1: No, the pen names came from different genres back when I was writing novels, right? And so my serial fiction, my writing now is not under a pen name, it's under my name. And one of the reasons I'm thinking about just not necessarily deleting the pen names, but kind of, you know, mothballing them a little bit is because I don't want readers who know those pen names and are familiar with that work to think that's what they're going to be getting from me in the future. It's very Mm -hmm. important for me not to mislead them with that idea. So even though I'm going to be in the same genre and I'm going to be writing similar types of characters and it's going to have my same voice because it's me on all of those. It's going to be such a different experience for readers that I want them to know that this isn't going to be the romance novel experience that you had in 2012 with this particular release. So that's kind of where I'm going with the rebranding
0: makes total sense and that expectation is i think something too that i'm I'm curious for what would be your advice to an author who maybe has a more established audience which could be 10 readers it can be thousands of readers but who's used reading their stories that are packaged i'm not going to say written but packaged in a book format could be written in a novel or it could be written as a serial but now they're thinking of not presumably writing a serial but also packaging it you know not only as a serial but also serializing that release you know mm-hmm. so not a not a just but an, an and thing so right. that might be the thing that they're doing. How do you brace your readers for that expectation? If you're kind of making a change, even if you're like changing, you know, pen names, that might be good for future readers. But if you're also still trying to pull from your existing audience, how do you set them up for the change of, well, this packaging is different than that other packaging and the experience might be as well.
1: I think it's important to lean in on what you know that your readers loved about your, your novel, your book formats. For instance, world building is something I was really well known for, like in all of my pin names. I build deep world <laughs> times to my detriment. <laughs> you have world building too, so I know you're just that. But so for me, it's leaning into that. Do you want more of this kind of world building? Do you want to go deeper into the history of the guardsmen? One of my universes, the history of the guardsmen and, you know, where they come from and and what is this big, you know, again, I was writing serials before I really knew it. I had this villain that's across three books and, and it's going to be a serial now, but I can lean into the idea of you love these characters you love this world building now i'm going to give you so much more of it it's going to be amazing mm. that, that's yeah. my
0: thought that no that i i love that because the biggest thing is as authors we're always focused on the difference what's mm. in about it and we almost want to justify and apologize the difference like you know this might be better for me creatively better for me in this time of life but i'm nervous about this difference so i'm like this is everything that's different about it and then readers might come away from that being like oh okay
1: yeah, I don't want something different, but no, lean into what's what, what they love. Lean into what you know you offer that's unique, no matter the format, no matter the, the packaging or the structure.
0: I'm with you. It is fantastic <laughs> advice. And after listening to what was a wide ranging conversation, I'm sure people are going to be like, wow, I learned a lot about cereals and I want to learn more. So where can we find you, Kimbo? And where can we also find your recent book all about this?
1: Well, a good place to find me just is my link page, which is houseofyork.info houseofyorkoneword.info It has links to my REAM site which is where my fiction lives. I've got a new exciting story with that one which is going to be a serial. I've already started posting bits and drabbles on that as I write it out so that's going to be so much fun. I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm also on Substack where I write to other authors. That's less for fiction readers. That's more for other authors and of course my web, my House of York shop link is there and that's where you'll be able to find the book. Right now it is only available on my direct sales shop. I will be putting it, just so people are concerned, I will be putting it on the major distributors in the middle of August. So by the 15th, it will be available on Amazon and Kobo and Barnes & Noble and all the others. But for this first part of the launch, it's only available on my shop. So houseofyork.info. Go there and you can find it all
0: very very exciting well Kimbu <laughs> this was an amazing conversation did and... we
1: leave any stones unturned I'm not I don't know like I think I do want to say really quickly before you yeah, wrap yeah. up is is yeah. that one of the things that kind of led me down this path and bringing on this is one thing that you've stressed over and over again which is building trust with your readers mm. that hits so hard for me because I think in the old format of you know rapid release turn churn 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 there was just the idea of just trying to get as much product out there as possible. It wasn't fun for me. It wasn't even interesting for me. What I want to do is to build that audience. And I think the best way to do that is through building trust, which you were always saying. And I think for me, a great way of doing that's going to be cereals. So thanks for kind of pounding that home, that message home, whenever you're talking about it, because it's the trust that builds the community.
0: Without a doubt. And what's important about that as well is being yourself, being you and, and writing what is passionate for you. And and we talk about things like right to market and all these other things. And in, in reality, the core of your story, the core of your characters is something that has to be something you're just as obsessed with as you hope your readers will be and that they will be. And yes, we can talk about packaging a totally different conversation, but connected and how, yeah, maybe you do want to package things in a way in which readers with a specific target demographic have an understanding of what that is so they can have an mm-hmm. easy entry point into it right because packaging is trust to a certain extent meaning you know oh this is similar to this this has a similar description this has similar graphics to the cover okay but at the same time readers are going to stick around for you that's what keeps them so don't so don't ever try and become your packaging or become something that you're not in pursuit of finding readers in any context and i think that Serials are something that keeps you honest because if you're having not only writing serials but serial release strategy, you know, and coming consistently with something at whatever the cadence is, once a month, once a week, you're going to find very quickly that that's not working out for you because that story is not going to be a never ending story with seasons and seasons. Mm -hmm. You're going to get to the end of season one and be like, yeah, I'm not feeling that pull towards that long arc.
1: Right. You got to know that. Got to figure that out. Got to be honest. It's
0: one of the the hardest parts about this this whole industry honestly it's it's tough cuz it's tough but it's something that I know you all are are doing great with and <laughs> what a great reminder on trust that's i think it's a key thing well this was truly amazing, Kim. Thank you so much for your time.
1: It was wonderful to talk with you as always, Michael, and thank you for your support for the book and the serials all the way. So I appreciate it.
0: You're the first author to author an official book, I would say, that has been inspired by the works of everyone in this community. So we should all give ourselves a pat in the back for, you know, being Absolutely. able to contribute especially- to this.
1: Everybody who showed up to that fireside chat asked me questions that I couldn't answer. You were important to this journey.
0: I thought you answered them pretty well. Thank you. You you can watch (laughs) it in the link in the description. I thought your answers were were great, but I I will say if my question coming into this was what did she learn in her super big deep dive into cereals? I'm like, Oh, I, you learned a lot. um, (laughs) Oh
1: yeah. Which (laughs) is
0: awesome. So yeah. And I mean this, if I, we have a lot of people on the podcast, but Kimbo, you're you're amazing. And I really do support you. So if you all are listening, like, I don't just like pub other people's stuff and say, go buy this and go buy that. It's not my personality. I really believe in what Kim has done. I really believe in her work and her book, and it's at a very, you know, accessible price for folks as well in the sense. So it's not something I'm very comfortable recommending. It's something I hope you all support because, um, Thank you, so much. you know, you've, you've given a lot to this community. So uh, that you. is a genuine call to action for folks to, to go check it out.
1: Thank you so much.
0: That's it for this podcast. I'm going to wrap it up quickly because I know this was a ton of information. So I just hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, like a lot, lot. And honestly, like, I just can't wait to share it with you. We have some conversations with authors like David Raguts. We have conversations with authors like Only James and can't wait to share them with you all shortly. So stay tuned for that. And also stay tuned for a very, very big release that we have coming up. Okay. It's a big one. It's going to be in November when it goes live and i will give you the opportunity to be able to join the Six Figure subscription author accelerator only be open for a limited time so if you want to join that just letting you know months you got months until then but we're really excited for it and we think me and amelia who are leading it will be the best subscription educational and community experience you can ever have as an author so hope to hope to see you there list is down in the description see y'all next time in the meantime don't forget storytellers rule the world I don't need it,